Hey guys, before we roll into this next episode, I want to thank you all for the kind words that you've left on social media and for all of you that you have subscribed and left reviews. Those reviews help me keep this podcast free. And Matthews, one of my sponsors, was gracious enough to give me a bow to give away to one of you fans that has subscribed and left a review. So if you'd like to win a brand new Halon 32 with a six inch brace height in a Sika Elevated 2 camo. All you need to do is subscribe on iTunes and leave me a review and you'll be entered to win. And I'll be giving away that bow the first week of June to one lucky winner. So thanks again and enjoy the next episode. Hi, and welcome to the interviews with the Masters brought to you by TheOutdoorInsiders.com, your number one spot for inside information and quality gear. Today we have with us on the phone um, John uh, Jadonet, and uh, we, we brought him on because we get a lot of questions uh, thrown at us about uh, tracking and uh, using deer, uh, dogs to track wounded deer or wounded game, uh, and, and John... Uh, China was uh, on the forefront of the movement to uh, get dogs legal in a lot of states and so on and so forth, and, and um, he's written several books on the matter and uh, on, on tracking, blood trailing, and stuff like that. So, uh, John, how are you doing? Okay, okay. Awesome. So, uh, why don't you uh, give us a little rundown about yourself and... Uh, before we jump into some questions here. Well, I've been a passionate hunter all my life. Uh, the questionnaire said, when did you begin to hunt? It was, I was 14, I went out squirrel hunting with my mother, and there, were, I, there was a kind of a, a gray blur on a treetop that swing, was swinging back and forth, and I shot, and there were two squirrels, and I killed them both for the first shot. After that, my luck has not been that good. <laughs> but the, and, the, you know, now uh, I've been primarily a deer hunter. Yeah. And you've been deer hunting for how long? Oh, uh, well, not since 16, you. you know. Not to, not to age you. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm 82 now, so uh, actually I've been doing my wounded deer tracking uh uh, since I was 40, so I had 40 good years, uh, and now uh, I'm uh, going downhill physically. And I can't do it anymore, but I can still think about it and talk about it there you go. and write about it. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about, um, so you, you know, you run the organization, basically the, uh, you know, blood trackers organization. Would you tell us a little bit about that? And, uh... Well, uh, there are uh, a lot of blood tracking organizations now. I started with an organization in New York State uh, called uh, uh, Deer Search, and uh, now uh, I'm active in Deer Search and uh, a, a, a national organization, United Blood Trackers, uh, which... Uh, uh, is uh, over most of the country, 
And uh, mm-hmm. uh, my wife is actually president of it. Oh, wow. That's cool. So anyway, I have a lot of contact with a lot of hunters and uh, uh, trackers. Absolutely. Uh, in United Blood Trackers, we have uh, a page called Find a Tracker, and a hunter can go to his state, uh, locate where he is in the state, and uh, uh, get a tracker to help him. Yeah, I've actually used it before, unfortunately. Um Nobody was available. I had shot a deer in Florida uh, a couple years ago now, and um, gut shot him, hit him far back, and against my uh, better judgment, um, we we went and looked for him a little too soon, and we jumped him. And then, uh, yeah, so I started poking around on that. Nobody was available. Uh, well, we're not very strong in Florida. You know, it's not a a big deer hunting state, but there we got a few trackers down there. Really? You think Florida's not a big deer hunting state? Oh, I think Florida's a giant here, deer hunting state. Well, you know, not compared to uh, uh, Texas or Ohio or something like that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Anyway, anyway. uh, maybe it would be useful for me to tell how I got into all this. I was deer hunting myself. This was back in 1971. I had a nice shot at a deer, and uh, the uh, shotgun slug uh, hit a branch and was deflected, so it wasn't a perfect shot. And the deer took off. Uh, There was no blood or just a little bit at the beginning. And I... uh, uh, I searched all day, couldn't find it, and uh, about two weeks later, I met some hunters who said, yeah, uh, we found it uh, over in a, a swale, and uh, that made me think, you know, with a tracking dog, uh, I could have done that, and I had it, I'd, I had brought back a, a dog from uh, Germany, uh, a uh, wire dachshund that was used mm-hmm. over there for tracking, and uh, I, uh, uh, but I couldn't use her because using a dog to find winded deer was strictly illegal in New York State, virtually in all states in the North, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of a crazy idea anyway. So uh, you know, this kind of bothered me, and I I applied to our uh, D.C. Department of Environmental Conservation, and uh, uh, after a lot of uh, finagling and you know, uh, sending proposals and all, I finally got a uh, uh, permit to do a research project. Oh wow! And that's uh, where it all started. And uh, it was successful, and uh, I found some deer for some good people, and we began to expand that uh, 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 the number of trackers on my permit, and uh, that led led eventually to the uh, uh, foundation of uh, Deer Search. And you know we've been going ever since. 
And let me explain a little bit about uh, uh, what we do. It's called blood okay. tracking. But actually, almost all the time, we, do, we are tracking when there's very little blood. If there's a good blood trail, the hunter is going to find it. But uh, these dogs, uh, we train them so they learn to uh, follow an individual uh, deer by its scent and by the individual scent uh, between the clothes of the hoof. And uh, uh, they're very successful, you know, a 24-hour line without visible blood. It's something that we don't hesitate to take. Right. So, uh, you know, we stuck with the term blood tracking because that's what everybody was familiar so with. But it really is not dependent on blood. Yeah, for sure. Like you said earlier, if there was blood, you probably wouldn't need you. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I got questions. Um, you know, we get shot questions all the time about this. And one of the things is, you know, we start with this. Do you have like a checklist or a system that you've like put in place? You know, walk me through. You know, uh, shooting shooting a game and wounding it and to recovery. Okay, uh, uh, when a hunter calls in that he's got a wounded deer that he can't find, uh, you know, first we we ask him has he got landowner permission where the uh, the deer went. Uh, in uh, our state, we have to have uh, uh, information to send in to our DEC uh, about where the search is going to be located, who the hunter is, where his backtrack tag is, and so forth. And then we ta- begin talking about the uh, site. Mm-hmm. Where does he hit, do you think he hits the deer? Well, in bow hunting, uh, they usually have a pretty good idea uh, in uh, uh, gun rifle hunting, uh, you know, not so much. But we try to eliminate calls that are uh, definitely not going to produce a wounded deer. And one of these is a, a high back shot that stuns the deer's spinal cord, goes down, gets up in a few seconds, and takes off. And I've tracked uh, an awful lot of those, and you don't get them. Uh, right. We uh, get as much information as we can, and then we go out and we uh, meet the hunter, and we begin at the hit site. That's important. Usually there's a little blood there to get the dog started on the right line. And then we go out uh, 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 to the point of loss where the hunter couldn't track anymore, and that's usually complicated because it's tracked up and so forth. But right. uh, we have ways of getting around that, circling and so forth. And then we follow. And, uh, you know, uh, after a half mile or so, we have a pretty good idea whether the deer is uh, gettable or not. You know, we know from blood smears on uh, brush and trees how high he's hit. We've seen blood, and we can tell whether it's, uh, you know, stomach shot, gut shot, uh, or something in the chest cavity or leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, we end up, it's, this sounds strange, we end up about with a, finding about a third of the deer, and the, 
The great majority of the others are uh, not seriously wounded. Uh, right. Uh, with a leg hit, we'll have trouble with those here. Down south where they can work off lead, they get much more of those. But usually we have a, a recovery rate of about uh, uh, 30%. We'll back up real quick. So you, you just mentioned something. So there are a lot of states that you're allowed to just let the dogs go, but obviously New York. Yeah, down, you know, where they always had uh, dog hunting down south, uh, they just applied the uh, tracking procedures to working the dog off lead. And in Texas is another situation there. It was really a... Uh, evolution of the using uh, cattle dogs uh, mm-hmm. that were used to picking out a, a particular uh, steer and uh, using them to track uh, uh, wounded deer. And the tracking is very big in in Texas. And most of the time, uh, it's used off lead. But uh, sometimes they'll start, particularly with an inexperienced dog, they'll start. Uh, on the line with the dog on lead. Right. Now, uh, uh, New Mexico uh, has leashed, it's a leash tracking dog. You have to use a leash in Texas. And in Arizona, where you are, uh, it's never been legalized at all. Hasn't been much of a demand for it. Because we're such awesome hunters out here. <laughs> no, I wish they would, you know. Honestly, um, we lose a lot of elk more than anything, not so much deer. I, I, you know, I feel like um, every year I see a lot of elk get shot. You know, people take pictures of these somewhat, look, looks like a pretty decent blood trail, and then, you know, something happens and that wound gets plugged up or something for a little while, and they lose elk all yeah. the time. Well, we've got outfitters in uh, uh, New Mexico, uh, and uh, up into Utah and all that are are using tracking dogs on elk, and uh, they find it's very successful. Oh, yeah. Especially, you know, elk during the rut. I mean, they're giant, stinky animals. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, I bet it's it's probably a lot easier to track an elk than it is a deer. Um they leave a lot more. They leave a lot more signs. You know, they disrupt a lot more uh, mm-hmm. ground. So even even for the uh, the dog handlers, you know, to, to read sign and pick up sign, I think is easier. But um, yeah, I wish Arizona would let it happen. But there's, I don't know. There's some. I've heard different things about it. Like if you're not, you know, actively hunting, you could have the dog on a leash and this, this, and that. I. I I don't really understand what the legalities of it are. Yeah, I don't think there's anything formalized. Uh, There may be some tracking going on informally. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it'd be nice to see if they they would come up with something out here. I know there's a couple other states, you know, out here out west that don't have, you know, don't have it. And um, definitely, I don't see the point of not having it. I mean, well, you know, uh, there's a prejudice in many places against using a dog in deer hunting, and and this is using a dog in deer hunting. And then uh, sometimes the anti-hunters don't like it either. 
know, I, I get it. I get off leash because you get a lot of uh, harassment that way. But mm-hmm. you know, if you're on a trail and you're using a lead, and you know, you you got control of your animal, you got control of your dog. I don't see how you're just using, you know, a buddy that has a much better nose than you do. You know, well, you know, it's obvious to me, and this has been going on in Europe since the 12th century. But uh, there are some people who think this is a crazy, radical idea, and you got to overcome this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about the dogs themselves. Um, What what is it that you look for when you when you're choosing a dog? Um, You know, obviously species probably has a, a lot to do with it, but um, why don't you give us a couple of top species and, and, and some characteristics and stuff that you look for? Well, uh, in uh, the Northeast, we're using the wire-haired dachshunds from uh, Europe, hunting dachshunds, as I started with a lot, but they're certainly not the only dog. Down uh, uh, south, uh, it's good to have a bigger dog because uh, of the snake situation. And uh, mm-hmm. they're a better bay dog if you can leave the the dog off lead as you can in the, the uh, Gulf states. Out in right. Texas, in your country, uh, the blue lacy is very, very widely used. Mm-hmm. But I imagine you can use pretty much almost any... Well, you know, you need a dog with a uh, a very decent nose, and then the dog has got to be responsive uh, and uh, nose oriented. The terriers, by and large, you know, they're they're eye oriented and uh, visually oriented, and uh, they usually they don't do as well. Yeah, I have a I have a Vishla. And I've trained him to shed hunt, and he's uh, he's pretty much a scent tracker. He's he does a little bit he does a little bit with the eyes too. Like if he'll see something, he'll go. But um, well, in uh, uh, some parts of the country, uh, up in the Midwest, they're using versatile hunting dogs. You know the Drottars, the Kortars, the Vizslas, and they do very well. You. Some of them are too high-headed and birdy, and they won't get their head down and work an old coal line. But right. uh, some of them are truly excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I've always kind of – I had a friend uh, years ago, or, yeah, or he's still my friend, but years ago he had a dog. Um, and, I mean, Jesus, if I could have cloned this dog, he was – he retrieved birds – he found sheds. He, I mean, he had them uh, pointing. I, I mean, the dog was kind of like trained for everything. I think he was even training them for like, I know he trained them for coon hunting and for, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was weird because I was like, well, how do you not get them confused when you go out to the field and, you know, you're doing a different action? And basically, before each outing, he would tr- he would basically um, you know show him whatever I don't know like uh, I don't know exactly like say if they were going coon hunting he would show him a raccoon tail and he knew okay we're raccoon hunting today we're not yeah we're not I hunting. had dogs like that 
you know, they'd, uh, if we went out at night, uh, they would know that uh, uh, we weren't going to be, uh, went out at night without a, uh, a leash, they would know mm-hmm. that we weren't tracking deer and they'd, they'd run coons. I used to do okay. quite a bit of that up here, but then when the coyotes came, it wasn't very good to use a, a dog no. off, a little dog off leading the woods. Definitely not. Definitely not. We get we get we get coyotes picking off uh, dogs over here all the time in people's backyard, dogs and cats. So it's a it's a big problem actually. The suburban uh, coyotes are bad over here. So. Um, so anyway, I was starting to ask you before, what, what, uh, you know, what characteristics, um, are you looking for? Are you looking for a certain type of, uh, demeanor or are you looking for, uh, or is it just, you know, if they're a, well, you want a, a fairly calm dog, uh, not, uh, and one that's, uh, responsive, uh, uh, to calls and instructions. Um, almost all of our dogs uh, are house dogs and companion dogs too, because this is um, uh, this is something where you need this close contact. And then when you start uh, tracking and finding deer, uh, there's a bonding that takes place. Uh, I've got a tracking dog under my uh, chair now, and uh, you know if I go down the hall to go to the toilet and trots along with me. Uh, <laughs> just, the bond just becomes uh, very, very strong. Right. Well, uh, give me a few pointers on uh, starting a dog to be a tracker. Okay, uh, there's a lot of this in my uh, my book, Tracking Dogs for Finding Wounded Deer. But uh, I like to Start uh, uh, with very young puppies using a, uh, a drag deer liver at first, 25, 50 feet, you know, and then we begin using deer blood and uh, making longer and longer uh, calls, uh, uh, tracking uh, opportunities, and we'll put a deer skin at the end and mm-hmm. some treats. Uh, it can be deer hard or it can be hot dogs, but uh, right. And uh, uh, they they generally take to that very well. And then uh, in more advanced training, we use what we call tracking shoes that have a mm-hmm. uh, a deer hoof with the interdigital okay. scent attached, and so the dog learns to follow even when there's no blood just by this interdigital scent, which is very individual. Right, right. So with that, is that something that you're uh, you're constantly changing so he doesn't, you know, he or she doesn't get uh, used to just tracking that, looking for that one scent, that one, indici- you know. Indici- yeah, they've got to learn to track one specific deer. Yeah. So. What, uh. What are three things that you can attribute your success to in the field? Uh, good luck in getting started. Uh, uh, <laughs> perseverance is very important. Uh, you've got to love dogs and uh, you know how to read them, 
understand their body language. And then there's, there's got to be a passion for this. I, I almost wonder whether this is genetic. There's some people that are just, they get into this, they get hooked, and some of them would actually track and hunt. And there are others that say, well, this is good, all right. You know, I think it it's useful, but it, it isn't right. for me. Right. Yeah, you become, I think you become more of a houndsman if you're passionate about it than a, necessarily a hunter. Well, uh, I think, you know, I uh, have certainly stayed with both. You know, I, I like to do a lot of my uh, wounded deer tracking at night when setting conditions are better. And, uh, you know, uh, in the daytime, uh, I'll deer hunt. And, uh, you know, if you're up in a deer stand with and strapped in, you can doze a little bit. You'll hear the deer coming, uh, and you look them over, uh, and uh, you don't sleep very much with this kind of life. And, right. You know, <laughs> if you're working uh, five days a week, well, then you've got to do it at night or on weekends. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about your uh, your most memorable uh, track. Okay, uh, that occurred in uh, uh, 2004, and uh, I, I was uh, uh, I was hunting myself. It was late, uh, you know, in December, uh, in muzzleloading season, and I got a shot at a six-point buck, and uh, there was no indication that he was hit. But uh, I said, I better check it out. So I went out and I got, went up. This was on my own land. Went up and mm-hmm. got uh, my tracking dog and uh, took her down on the leash. And I had my uh, handgun. And, uh, I want to put her on the uh, hit side. She said, yes, you got him. And what it turned out is the... Uh, uh, the deer had been hit on that uh, uh, big bone below the shoulder blade, and uh, it had not penetrated the chest, broken a leg. So we began tracking, and it began getting dark. I had a light, and uh, one time we were going across the field, and the deer came out of the darkness and rolled my dog. Uh, but, you know, we kept on tracking. And then we got to a point where uh, it was in kind of a brushy lot, and it came out in a spot, and there stood the deer. And it was only a six-pointer. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, But in the light and all, with the uh, adrenaline and all, it looked like a pope and young deer. And okay. <laughs> I, was, I was fumbling for my handgun, which was under my my coat because it was so cold uh he charged and the, the uh, buck charged the buck charged oh, wow. yeah and fortunately it was a little buck but he hit me and uh he knocked me cold i went down uh <laughs> i cracked a rib and and one time uh hit my uh my jaw and i think that's what knocked me out 
And when I woke up, it could have been, must have been only a few seconds. Uh, I was lying on the ground, and uh, I had uh, my, my glasses were in front of me, and the the deer's antler that had struck me was in front of uh, that. You know, it was late in the season, getting ready to drop. And uh, Sabina, my tracking dog, came over, and I saw she had been hit and uh, ripped in the flank. And she came over and uh, with her wound and all that, uh, she was licking my face. Uh, You know, that shows you what the bonding Mm -hmm. is. And we got up, and hell, we weren't going to quit. We got our act together again, started tracking. And after about a half mile, I said, look, uh, I don't know how bad Sabina is. She's got a, a gash in her flank. I don't know if it goes right. into the gut or not. So we stopped at a farmhouse, and uh, uh, I knew the guy. And he gave me and Sabina a ride home because we were a long way from uh, home at this point, two miles. Wow. And uh, I had a bite to eat and noticed I couldn't chew very well. And uh, then I got a couple of my tracking friends and, we went with other dogs. We left uh, Sabina home because of her uh, injury. And right. we went about uh, 200 yards beyond where we had quit. And there was a deer. And uh, he got up. And my friend put it down with a shotgun. And that was it. But, you know, it was quite an adventure. And uh, Oh, yeah. And uh, usually I've got the hunter with me. In this case, right. you know, because it was my own deer, I didn't. So uh, that uh, showed you what the bonding between Sabina and uh, me was. That's a pretty cool story. That's crazy that he came after you. Huh. If it had been a big 12-point uh, buck from the Middle West, I don't think I'd be talking to you now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or just hit you a little bit different with that, you know, the antler in the face or whatever. You could have caught that shine in the eye or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Incredible. I mean, you hear stories about it all the time, but, you know, it's not something that you see. Crazy that you experience that, so. Huh. Well, that's cool. Well, I mean, that's all I got for you today, uh, you know, Okay, just yeah. let me give you a bit of advice. If you ever want to get this started in Arizona, first thing, mm-hmm. you've got to get the support of the hunters. Because a lot of them at first will think it's a wild, crazy idea. And, yeah. uh, you know, you'd, you'd have to give uh, talks and explanations to gun clubs. And uh, uh, in most states, you need... Uh, uh, legislation, not just a change in regulations. So yeah. you go first to uh, your Department of Natural Resources, you get their support, and you know it's not too difficult now, and we can say how uh, it's working successfully in 35 states. And mm-hmm. uh, then uh, when the uh, Department of Natural Resources is uh, uh, convinced and in support of it, 
then you go to the legislature uh, if it requires it, and, and you get a, a, a law uh, legalizing the use of leash tracking dogs. And you always say leashed. Right. Right. I, you know what? I, I don't think I would want unleashed anyway. It's just I, I think that leads to problems because you'll get that one guy that doesn't train his dog property properly and he's running all over the place. Although, I mean, we do do, we have lion hunts and bear hunts that we run, you know, 10 dogs on, you know, so I don't see how it's that far of a stretch. We're already using dogs for big game hunting out here. No, I think on the whole it's been easier uh, out uh, uh, west in the Rockies. Uh, to convince people than uh, it did in uh, wasn't the northeast. Boy, it was a Far tough sell in the northeast. I bet New York's tough. It's crazy because there's a lot of hunters there, but there's a lot of anti hunters there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm from New York originally. If you didn't catch from my accent, but uh, yeah, I grew, I grew up hunting in uh, Binghamton and deposit. Mm-hmm. So we saw it all the time. Did it? A lot of anti-hunting sentiment, sentiment, and then in uh, Long Island too. I've been hunting in Long Island since I'm a teenager, and uh, that's difficult. That's difficult hunting out there because there's not a lot of public land, and there's a lot of lot of tree huggers, a lot of a lot of. A lot of antis out there. So, well, podcasts like what you're doing uh, do a lot to educate people, and yeah. uh, well, it will we try. continue to go. We try. The problem is that the uh, the people that need to be educated aren't necessarily listening to the podcast. Yeah, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully, the guys that are listening to it will, you know. Well, I don't think the anti sentiment, anti hunting sentiment, should be too bad in. Uh, uh, Arizona, California. No, that's not, another story. It's not bad out here. No, it's not bad out here at all. Most people that aren't are not hunters are not against it. So, um, I mean that's I mean that's nationwide, really. So, anyhow, but uh, well, John, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, you know spending a little time with us. Well, oh, I uh, enjoyed this. And uh, Do you want to tell our if anybody, my website is www.borntotract.com, and then you can people can phone me. Oh, awesome! Okay, uh, I gotta go now. So, thanks a lot. Thanks.